This is Mission, Baptist Mission Australia's podcast and a space to explore mission, faith, life, call and everything in between. Welcome. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional owners of this land on which we record this podcast today. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Missioning. It's a bit of a different episode today. We're actually going to be diving into the latest edition of Resonate magazine, edition 39, which has just come out. So I'm Tegan Dwyer-Rivia, and I'm the communications manager here at Baptist Mission Australia. And part of my role is the wonderful privilege of being the editor of Resonate. So we have just released edition 39 and, you know, what it's so great, we thought let's also release it as a kind of audiobook style reading for people who maybe just prefer um, to listen to it rather than read it or commute or just want to engage in this way. So in this edition, some of the main articles that we have are one about Southeast Asia and what the team is doing there and the wonderful work that they're doing and the way that God is using them and his kingdom is growing in Southeast Asia. We also have a great article from Jody McCartney talking about discernment and the questions that maybe we can be asking or a different way to be looking at discernment, which is maybe a little bit less overwhelming. Um, also a great feature on Thailand. And we are here from one of our amazing partners, Leisha and the reasons and the background of why she's partnering with um, one of our team members in Southeast Asia, Kate. As always, this edition is jam-packed full of different perspectives and ideas around mission and call, discernment, lots of stories and updates as well. So I'm going to dive right in. The first page, we have a letter from Scott Pilgrim, who is our executive director, and he welcomes us to the magazine. So he writes... Welcome to Resonate and welcome to the first edition as Baptist Mission Australia. We have been very encouraged by the positive feedback to our new name as we seek to strengthen partnerships across our Australian Baptist movement. We are at our best partnering together as Australian Baptists when we are focused on mission, when with courage and imagination we embody the good news of Jesus by word and deed in the places we work, live and build community. Throughout May Mission Month we celebrated the joy and power of partnership. It was so encouraging to see so many churches make the most of May Mission Month opportunities and the myriad of great online resources. After more than two years in my role, I finally had the chance to visit all states across the country in May and everywhere that I went, our partnership in the gospel was front and centre. On behalf of the board, national team and of course our intercultural team members around the world, a very big thank you to everyone who engaged with us during May this year. In the first chapters of John we read of the wonder of God moving into the human neighbourhood in the person of Jesus. Our team members seek to model this incarnational approach in their locations across the world. In this edition of Resonate, we celebrate what is happening in Southeast Asia as the team embraces God's gracious invitation to mission. We praise God for the stories of lives being transformed by the hope of Jesus. In November this year, we launched an exciting new initiative called Walk the World. Let me encourage you to mark the Walk the World weekend of 11 to 13 November in your diary and plan to walk, ride, run, wheel around your local community and pray for our teams across Africa and Asia and Australia. As I move around the country, it's always exciting to chat with women and men of different cultures and ages, each considering God's unique call on their lives. However, we know discerning God's call can be really challenging. So in this edition, we have an article from Jodie McCartney exploring discernment reflections and principles. 
If you're considering intercultural mission, then get in touch. We have experienced, wise and passionate people ready to journey with you in your discernment. Grace and peace, Scott. We then move into our feature article for this edition and it's called Crossing the Street in Southeast Asia. In this article we hear from Dave and Kaz, Max and Ezzy and Mike. The passionate team in Southeast Asia crosses the street with the hope of Jesus every day. Here they share about two avenues for impact, the Education Foundation and Creation Care Initiatives. Sharing about the Education Foundation is Dave and Carol. They write... When our team established the Education Foundation 10 years ago, Adam was one of the first employees. A widower with three young boys and minimal education, he was struggling to make ends meet and provide for his family. He lived in a small dwelling with his sons and extended family. Flash forward to today and Adam has blossomed and grown in confidence as a loved staff member. He's been able to care for his boys and make sure they attend good schools. He's also been saving regularly and was recently able to buy a small house for himself and his sons. He is so happy and grateful that he could do this. Adam eagerly participates in weekly devotion times that we run with the local staff and we know the Lord continues to work in his life. This is just one story of many. Over the past 10 years, we have witnessed God at work through us and in the lives of local staff and students. There are now Education Foundation branches in three provinces and partnerships in other provinces. Employing around 45 local staff, the Foundation provides courses for expatriates and local people. Intercultural workers from many organisations study culture and language at the Education Foundation and in this way the Foundation is having an impact far beyond itself as it helps equip new workers who will be serving God in many communities. The Foundation has a benevolent purpose to relieve poverty and distress. Most of the local staff come from the majority faith community and were struggling with poverty prior to working within the Foundation. The Foundation provides them with a stable employment, fair wages, health insurance and a safe workplace where they experience dignity. All the staff participate in weekly devotion times where they discuss spiritual matters. Several have come to faith in Jesus and others are on the journey. For our team, the Education Foundation also provides a natural place to develop rich relationships with local people. Pray with us that through these relationships, we will make Jesus meetable. Max and Ezzy now share about the Creation Care Initiative. They write, Creation Care has been a ministry platform for the Southeast Asia team since 2016. The initiative runs activities for social and community development among underprivileged communities, along with environmental campaigns and activities. Under Creation Care, there are two regular programs that we run, which are the Reading Garden and the Trash Bank. The Reading Gardens are a signature program that combines the objectives of child literacy and environmental education. The two Reading Gardens are in underprivileged areas where children have little access to books. The initiatives also provide rich opportunities for the team to build relationships with the parents and others in the community. The Trash Bank is set up to connect and serve the scavenger community, who are seen as very low on the social ladder in Southeast Asia. During 2001, the Trash Bank collected around 133 tonnes of trash from its network of scavengers. Why? Number one, to contribute to a waste solution and help protect the environment. Number two, to support and empower scavengers and their families by purchasing the collected recyclable trash for a fair price. Number three, to build relationships with the scavengers and bring about emotional and spiritual transformation. Praise God that some of the scavengers are gathering as a faith community through the trash bank. They meet every week to study the word of God together. One of them is a man who has a deep passion to share about Jesus and reach out to new people. 
One of these new people is Abel, who has gone through various challenges in his life but was brought to Jesus by this man. Before this, Abel lived a life of heartache and pain. He had even considered taking his own life. Now he has been transformed by Christ. Praise God. Pray with us that the good news of Jesus will be shared with many throughout this community. Mike has now been on location with the team for one year. So to celebrate his first year in Southeast Asia, he shares five things that he started doing since his big move. Number one, the first thing that I've started doing is using another language to communicate. While English is definitely still the language I'm most comfortable using, I try not to use it as much as possible. Number two, reading books on a Kindle. I really enjoy sitting down with a good hard copy book. Practically though, a Kindle is the best option for a book lover who travels. My Kindle is the thing I'm most glad I brought with me. Number three, riding a motorbike. I still occasionally drive, but rarely. And if I have the choice, I'll always choose the motorbike. It's quicker and it's so much easier to park and it's cheap. Number four, being late to events. I never used to be late to anything when I lived in Australia. If anything, I was always too early. In Southeast Asia, though, people are more relationship-orientated than time-orientated. This means the event starts when all the people are there, even if that's one hour or more late. Number five, going to coffee shops at night. Here in my location, most coffee shops don't even open till 4pm in the afternoon, and they stay open till almost midnight. Most of my local friends here love to sit and chat late into the night. Fortunately, the caffeine doesn't seem to affect me too much. The next spread is called Crossing the Street Moments. And we've asked a whole lot of people from among our mission community, whether that be supporters or workers, to share ways that they are crossing the street with the hope of Jesus in ordinary ways um, in their daily life. So Doug from Hamilton Baptist Community Church in Victoria writes, I'm crossing the street through our local park run. Over the last four years, we've built friendships that are now producing regular gospel conversations. Emma for Narajin Baptist Church in WA says, as a nurse, I get to minister to those in my community after hours. Also, as a foster carer, I support other foster carers. Melanie, who's one of our Baptist Mission Australia team members in Malawi, writes, inviting people to hear God's word is always scary. What if they say no? Navigating this in a different culture complicates things even further. I met two ladies recently and wanted to invite them to a women's group, but an opportune moment just hadn't arrived. So I committed to pray about it. Very next day, I met both their husbands whilst walking to the market. This was my moment. They already knew about the group of women who met regularly. So I explained to them that we study God's word. Both men responded positively and expressed that they were honoured that their wives should be invited. Later that week, both of these women turned up to the group and they haven't missed a week in the last four months. Deb, who's part of our team in Cambodia, writes, Crossing the street is the essence of what we are doing daily here in Cambodia. I recently joined a group of Khmer women who exercise publicly on the sidewalk. For me, the experience didn't translate into well-coordinated moves, but it did provide an opportunity for me to be with and learn with a community of Khmer women expressing care, joy and abandonment. As we became more familiar with each other, we became an exercise family. Marg from Lakeside Baptist Church in WA, she shares... I've actively joined many groups that already take place in my community. My mission is to show people Jesus through interactions and attitudes. I want to see all my contacts have the love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, which only comes from him. I'm seeing God at work through my relationships that I'm building. It's not like they say, thank you, Marge, I'm following Jesus now. But I get told of my attributes, which I know only come from the Holy Spirit. I trust he's working in their hearts. Isla from Eaton Baptist Church in WA writes, I cross the street with school mums, my neighbour, a community mums at Mums and Bubs, and with the non-Christian friends God has blessed me with. Tobias, who's one of our workers in Mozambique, writes, One of the translation team members sadly lost his grown son recently. I attended the funeral along with some of our translation team colleagues. In this culture, it's not really acceptable for men to express their grief openly. There were a couple of hundred people in attendance at the funeral, and despite these numbers, the grieving father chose to walk with me back from the residence to the cemetery and back again. We crossed the street together, walking partly in silence, but also partly in conversation, as this man expressed his grief to me. It was obviously a very sad time, but it was also a beautiful time to walk in grief together. Jesus walked with us as well. That much I felt certain. Elsie from Cross Life, a Baptist church in Queensland, writes... Jesus is with me every step of the way. Once upon a time, I would run and hide from any kind of conversation with anyone outside my close-knit circle of friends. But now, God has given me the confidence to cross the street and speak his truth. Jodie McCartney is one of our mission mobilisers at Baptist Mission Australia, and she has written an article entitled, What's Next? She writes... Some years ago, my husband Chris and I were invited to join a Christian community that lived and worked among the poor in Bangkok. We were full of fervour and passion, ready to follow Jesus wherever he wanted us to go. But I recall feeling completely overwhelmed with the enormity of this decision. Was God really inviting me to relocate my life, together with my children, to a marginalised community with a reputation for violence and neglect? Where do I even begin to make such a decision? What if I get it wrong? How can I tell the difference between my dreams and what God has for me? Discerning God's will for our lives can feel like an impossible task. It can feel like we're left to navigate an unknown path without a map. But does it need to be like this? Or can we frame discernment in a way that is as freeing as God's love and acceptance for us? According to Ruth Haley Barton, discernment is our capacity to recognise and respond to the presence of the activity of God, both in the ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our lives. It is about having eyes to see God at work in and around us. It is recognising the way God has shaped us and uniquely placed us in the world. And it requires patience as we listen to the still, quiet voice of the Spirit, revealing the work of God in our past and what he may be inviting us to into the future. When we faced the enormity of our decision to relocate to live among the poorest in Bangkok, we began a period of discernment. It was a process that began with trusting that God wanted to show himself to us and was inviting us to join with him in something new. We carved out time away from the busyness of our day-to-day lives to still our hearts and minds and listen to what God might be saying. But just as importantly, we invited friends and family to join with us in our discernment and to speak into this decision. At the end of our discernment period, there were no lightning bolts or audible words from heaven, but there was a collective peace and assurance that God was for us and with us, whatever the next step. When we take time to look back at our lives, we can see that God has been gently guiding us at each turn. He's prepared us for this place and these people. Parker Palmer helpfully suggests, Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. 
Perhaps life-changing decisions about God's will need not cause fear or panic, but rather hopeful anticipation of seeing God at work in us. Perhaps the task of discernment in our calling or vocation is more about faithfully and boldly following the threads of our lives that have led us to that point. In our pursuit to discern the will of God, we may not have a clear voice from heaven, but we can trust that God, who revealed himself to us in Jesus, will continue to guide us in pursuit of him. When facing times of discernment, may we be filled with faith like the psalmist boldly declaring, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. It's from Psalm 85, verse 8. The Centre Spread introduces a new interactive prayer campaign that we are launching this November called Walk the World. The article reads, Walk the World is about praying for your local community and the world as you get out and about in your neighbourhood. On the weekend of 11 to 13 November 2022, lift up our Baptist Mission Australia intercultural teams whenever you walk, run, wheel, drive, imagine or cycle around your local area. Pray for the world as you walk your world. Across the street and across the world, let's pray for all communities to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. So how can my church and I get involved? Number one, register. Register at our website. You can register as an individual, family, small group or church. It's totally free to get involved, but if you want to make a donation to support our teams, then you can do that when you register. Number two, walk the world. On the weekend of November 11 to 13, Get out in your local neighbourhood in whichever way works for you and pray. Pray for God to be at work in your local community and communities around the world. Use our resources to equip and inform your prayer time. Number three, report back. Let us know how you went. As a global community, how many kilometres will we travel? You can head to our website for registration, more info and the promo video. The next article comes from Beth Jackson, who is the chair of our Baptist Mission Australia board, as well as the lead pastor at St Ives Baptist Church in New South Wales. In this article, she explores how we can all see the world more like Jesus. It's entitled Looking Like Jesus. Beth writes, I was a teenager during the glorious height of the WWJD wristband craze. My friends and I had every colour going, purple, green, pattern, tie-dye, often wearing more than one at once with the more unique colours being a hotly trading commodity. Fashion trends notwithstanding, the purpose of donning the bracelet was to remind ourselves throughout our day that we should be asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? It wasn't long before the wristbands were no longer an acceptable fashion choice and the acronym became cliched and parodied. In fact, it became so trite that in the years since, I've worked hard to find different language to convey the same message, and yet so often isn't the most appropriate question for disciples of Jesus just that, what would Jesus do? The gospel paints us so rich a picture of the heart of Jesus in his everyday encounters with unnamed and otherwise unremarkable people. We see Jesus moved with compassion as he heals the man with leprosy. We see him marvel at the faith of the Roman centurion and we see him grant forgiveness and healing to a man who was brought on a mat because he could not walk. We are privileged to witness the moving encounters of the hemorrhaging woman, the woman at Nain and the Samaritan woman at the well. When I read the gospel narratives, I often imagine what it would have been like to experience the gaze of Jesus in those moments. To be Jairus' daughter and wake up to the eyes of Jesus looking at you with compassion and warmth. 
to be the hemorrhaging woman who had been invisible for 12 years and to whom Jesus turned and saw. Matthew 9:22. They saw Jesus' heart. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Some biblical scholars suggest that in the ancient world, the eyes were seen as the channel from which the thoughts and attitudes of the heart flowed. It was in the eyes that the character of the person was best reflected. The eyes demonstrated generosity, sincerity and goodness or lack thereof. If we are seeking to model the heart of Jesus, it begins with how we see the world, looking with grace and kindness to those who surround us each day, our friends, family, colleagues and neighbours, looking with forgiveness to those who have wronged or hurt us, looking with eyes that see towards those who have been long invisible, looking with compassion and generosity on a community that is suffering. Maybe one day a new trend of HWJL wristbands might just catch on. How would Jesus look? The next article comes from Beck and Scott Falconer, who are some of our team members in Mozambique. Their article is entitled, What We're Learning From Our Mistakes. After 10 years in Mozambique, Beck and Scott know that stepping out and serving interculturally will lead to mistakes, misunderstandings and awkwardness. In this piece, they share some of the mistakes they have made, as well as some of the lessons they have learned from them. In this article, there's two columns, one that has three mistakes and one that has three lessons. Three mistakes. Number one, the message came that a nearby chief had died. Arriving to the family to visit, I, being Scott, was surprised to see no other mourners there. After some time, a familiar-looking man emerged from the house and walked towards me. As he approached, I realised that either the deceased chief had a twin brother or there'd been a misunderstanding and this actually was the chief. You're not dead? I blurted out in surprise. Number two. We love opportunities to share Bible stories and one day I, Beck, was invited to share a story with a group of girls by a Yao leader. Wonderful. I shared the story and then some reflections. Then the Yao leader retold the story and drew further reflections and applications. The only problem was they were completely different and sometimes in opposition to what I had been sharing. Number three. Arriving to teach at the girls' coming-of-age camp, I, Beck, walked across the yard to get the drum the women used to accompany songs and dances. Sitting on the drum, I saw a concerned look on our friend's face, which became gesticulations and a command to stop. It turns out Thursday afternoons are spiritually significant times during which playing the drums is forbidden. So from these mistakes and others, I'm sure, here are three lessons that Scott and Beck have drawn out. Number one. Sometimes we just need to apologise and laugh with others. Moving into new communities and building relationships requires courage and humility. Courage to take risks, be uncomfortable and make mistakes. And the humility to listen deeply and live as a learner, recognising that we don't have all the answers because we definitely don't. Number two, making no mistakes isn't the goal. We may think that when we've been somewhere long enough, we won't make mistakes, but that isn't the case. We should seek to make fewer mistakes, but perfection is not the goal. Our goal is to reflect the kingdom, and that kingdom is one of grace, forgiveness, and humility. It's one of entering other people's worlds, even when it's hard. Number three, our mistakes actually help us build relationships. Our mistakes give us opportunities to ask for forgiveness, to create relationships built on grace, to laugh with others, to remind ourselves and others that we're all the same and we're not God, 
So lean into awkward and uncomfortable new things. What might God be doing that he wants you to be a part of? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for that to happen? The next spread is all about our team and ministry in Thailand and about the ethnic Thai as a people group. So the article is called Country Spotlight Thailand. We start with some facts about the ethnic Thai. In Thailand, around 75% of the population or 57 million are ethnically Thai. There are three pillars of Thai society, nation, religion, which means Buddhism, and monarch. If you're not loyal to these three things, you can be seen as a traitor of the nation. While Christianity has spread through minority communities of Thailand, very few ethnic Thai people are known to be followers of Jesus. Here are some prayer points for the team, the ministry, the faith communities and the country of Thailand. Pray for the Holy Spirit to rain down on this nation and produce strong, fertile crops for God's kingdom. Praise God for the ethnic Thai faith communities that have grown out of years of ministry. Pray for courage and wisdom for the ethnic Thai believers as they share their faith in Jesus with their friends and family. Pray that the team would find genuine ways to share the truth of Jesus with people in their community who are open to that truth. Pray for the team to continue to grow deeper cultural understanding so they can communicate the gospel in relevant and understandable ways. Pray for the team's own spiritual walk with Jesus as they follow him and seek to humbly share God's love with those around them. Here's some information about our team in Thailand and their ministry. In Thailand, our vision is to see more communities of faith established as new followers of Jesus come together to learn what it means to worship God in their own distinctive ways. Our team is engaging with communities where they live, work in many practical ways. Besides teaching English at local Thai schools, our team is involved in gardening and fruit picking with neighbours, providing free beauty services and joining in sports games and competitions. These activities give the team the opportunity to build genuine friendships and engage in meaningful conversations about life and faith. Through these opportunities, our team is seeing God soften the hearts of local friends towards his kingdom. They are also seeing people interested in the story of hope that they share. We celebrate that in addition to the other communities of faith, a Bible study group is developing in Chiang Rai. This is what the team has written about sharing the gospel with their Thai friends. The ethnic Thai people are predominantly Buddhist and this, along with a strong sense of community, deeply impacts their identity. Most Thais, however, also have various beliefs in the spirit world and have superstitions mixed into traditional Buddhism. The fear of spirits and deep Buddhist traditions in the concepts of karma and merit-making are factors that make putting their faith in Jesus difficult for a Thai. When, as believers, we share stories of the way Jesus provides peace and protection from the fear of spirits, we offer a whole new way of thinking. Sharing the redemption story of Jesus with our friends offers them the opportunity to surrender the religious must-dos. Accepting the gift of Jesus, which is not based on our good works or deeds, can feel like stepping outside of community norms and expectations. Uncle G, one of the ethnic Thai believers, shared about his faith in Jesus in a beautiful way. He said, My faith now with Jesus is like sitting on a sofa. I don't need to sit on a tiring stool anymore. Sadly, Uncle G passed away shortly after. We are thankful for the hope and peace that knowing Jesus brought to him in his later years of life. And if you want to find out more about the team in Thailand and what their ministry is all about, then you can head to our website and explore there. The next article is another instalment in our regular series of How Did I Get Here? And this time we hear from Nok, who serves with our team in Indochina with her husband Mark and her young daughter. 
In this article, she shares six key moments in her story of call. Number one, I became a Christian at 30 years old. I thought this was just a personal decision that wouldn't change much in my life. I thought I would just pray to Jesus now instead of Buddha and go to church more often. Little did I know that in three years' time, my life would be completely changed. I was able to pay off my debts and my relationships with my friends and family were more intentional and meaningful. Then, God gave me a new purpose and called me to the mission field. Number two. I was born in Indochina but grew up in Houston, Texas and had a Buddhist upbringing. In 2016, I went back to Indochina on a mission trip. I felt unequipped and like I was a new kid on the block. I wasn't sure if I should even go since I was a new believer. How could I share the good news when I was just learning about it myself? That's when I realised that God uses my life experience to be his hands and feet. My experience of growing up in a strict Indo-Chinese Buddhist family and then coming to Christ is a testimony to others. I don't have to know everything about the Bible to share God's love and how he has transformed my life. Number three. In 2017, my dad passed away. At first, I didn't want to feel anything but sadness and anything about God made me cry. I got on my knees and asked, why? Why now? I was just starting to get to know my dad again. I cried out to God, but I wasn't ready to listen. Finally, after a few months, I decided I was ready to listen to God. I also remembered that my dad had always wanted me to get to know my people and heritage more. So I began to research and found out that the Indo-Chinese have endured so much and are very resilient. Their culture is rich and beautiful, but they are missing the hand of God in their lives. What my dad encouraged me to do and what God was saying to me came together. I was being called to reach out to the people of Indochina. That's how I can empower the people of my heritage. Number four, Mark and I met on the first short-term mission trip I went on. As God's call to serve in Indochina became clearer for each of us, we decided to live this call out together. We got married in 2019, prepared to serve, and were on location by January 2020, just before COVID hit. As newlyweds, we were stuck in an apartment for four weeks. It was challenging and we were limited in the ministry that we could do. We connected with believers online who supported and encouraged us. Later, in 2020, we began ministry initiatives and built some strong relationships. We were starting to see fruit. Number five. In 2021, Mark's mentor, Wa Peter Stone, sadly passed away. We had both spent time volunteering at the organisation Wa established in Indochina that works with people with disability. After he passed away, we were asked to take over the running of the organisation. While we were honoured to be asked, we were sad to have to leave our city in the north. We knew we would have to move to the south of the country in order to serve through the organisation. We were disappointed to leave the friends we had just made and the ministries we had started. However, after lots of praying, we sensed the Holy Spirit guiding us down south. We know that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Number six. As we made this decision, we found out that I was pregnant. Despite our best preparation, COVID lockdowns had us unexpectedly stuck between the north and south cities for four months. We finally made it to our destination with just enough time to find an apartment and hospital to give birth at. Here we are today, working at the organisation with a baby in tow. Only God could have orchestrated and timed this journey for us to be here right now. Praise the Lord. The next article is a piece by Leisha, who is a supporter who partners with one of our team members in Southeast Asia, Kate. And Leisha shares about her experience of giving and her journey of giving so far and what partnership means to her. On Kingdom Partnership, Leisha writes, Everyone has different talents and callings in their life. 
I love that I can partner with someone who's got a calling on their life to go. I might not be called to go, but I have faith that the support I'm giving is helping to spread the word of God. My husband and I pray that the gifts we give will mean that people hear the good news. Partnership is more than just financial giving. Moving to another country is daunting, so it's important to support people through ongoing communication. Your financial support means they can go, but it's your encouragement and prayer partnership that will help them stay. On partnering with Kate, Leisha writes, It was easy to decide to partner with Kate. I've known her a long time and I've seen her go through the process of preparation and then head off to Southeast Asia. I want Kate to do well and do what God's calling her to do. Partnering with her financially is one way that I can support her. But we talk as well. I want her to have the peace of mind that there are people looking out for her and supporting her. I also love that it's not just us. There is a whole community of people and churches that are sending Kate. I don't partner with Kate and others to feel good. At the end of the day, people coming to know Christ is the best thing that can happen as a result of my giving. That's the hope that I have every time I give. Is this going to be the thing that will enable them to have a conversation or reach out to someone and share Jesus? On her giving journey, Leisha writes, Before I started working full-time, I didn't give on a regular basis. The challenge to start doing that was a bit uncomfortable for me. I had just started earning money and I worried about potential things that could happen. What if I needed the money for this or that? Something that helped me get over that was knowing that if I gave money to God through giving at church or to other ministries, that he would bless and provide for me regardless. I was spurred on by verses like Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. The small group I was in when I first started earning money also challenged me. I remember there was one conversation about giving and one person shared how she was giving until it hurt. At the time, I wasn't giving regularly at all and the conversation made me think that I should be. That's when I started the habit. It was a small amount at first, but once I established the habit, the amount grew over time. On generosity, Leisha writes, I believe that we should be generous with what we have. My husband and I support a few different ministries and we pray about how much we give and decide on overall total and then give from that. We also pray that the funds will go to where they are needed. Ultimately, our money is never going to be ours. It's always God-given. So at least some of it should be going back to God and his mission. If someone asked me if they should partner with someone like Kate, I would say, just do it. I mean, if you're able to, you should. Use what you've got to help other people use what they've got to share Jesus with the world. So there you have it. That was edition 39 of Resonate magazine. Thanks so much for joining me in this read through. If you enjoy this kind of way of engaging with Resonate, then let us know. We can always look at doing it for past editions as well. There's 38 other ones out there. Thank you also for the wonderful contributors to Resonate. Your articles and your stories inspire and encourage all of us. So thank you so much. If there's things that have come out of these articles for you, maybe about your own discernment in God's mission or um, how you can partner with our teams, then please get in touch. We've got team members here in Australia who are ready to journey with you in your own discernment or explore how you can partner with what's happening around the world. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time.